All right, open your Bibles. Stand with me. I'll be honest with you, sermon preparation never stops. Uh, stuff, God drops stuff in my head sitting over there that uh, is not in my notes that I thought, man, if you'd have given me that in the middle of the week, I'm going to say it anyway. Honor. This is one of our core values. We've, we've talked about five, four of them so far, and now we're talking about honor. This is a big deal here. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I want to prep you for this. I'm going to talk about stuff this morning that you're not supposed to talk about in church. Okay? Or you're not supposed to really have any conversations about it, right? I'm going to talk about religion. I'm going to talk about race. And I'm going to talk about politics. And so the fullest we have ever been, I run the greatest risk of running everyone off. Isn't that just like God? So I'm just warning you up front. It's going to be equal opportunity offensive all the way around. It's like, well, he said that about Republicans. I'm not coming back anymore. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? When you read this, a lot of people think that this is some really in-your-face conversation Jesus is having with his teacher law, but I, it might not be that way. So don't automatically assign this um, aggression towards this conversation. So there's an expert in the law stood up. He was testing Jesus, but that doesn't mean the conversation was testy. So just picture it in a conversational manner. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do, I, how do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. This next part we do a lot. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, so before you assign blame to the expert in the law, make sure, make sure that we aren't walking around justifying ourselves on a daily basis. He says, well, who's my neighbor? He, he, in other words, he's saying, Jesus, I need you to be more specific than that because there's rules that I live by that exclude people. I was raised a certain way. And it excludes people. So I need your definition of neighbor because I know what mine is. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two... Denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, we thank you this morning. God, your word to us in this climate we live in today. Help us to never walk on the other side. Help us to be a church that will always stop. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen Amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. started thinking about this. I, I'll be honest with you, I do follow politics a lot, but I don't have very many political conversations. And the reason is, I, I was on the radio before Christmas with Hans Vogel on, on uh, 1340, which is secretly a, 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 a dream of mine to be a radio talk show host. <laughs> and so I, I get to go on there, and uh, every now and then, Hans will have me on. And so this time, it was right before our Christmas Eve services, and, you know, the political political thing was crazy. Still is, by the way. And um, race relations are crazy. Political seasons are crazy. Everything's crazy. And uh, Hans and his co-host started asking me questions and the danger is is I didn't have any of the questions up front and uh, I don't it wasn't a gotcha moment but they were genuinely wanting to know how I felt about certain situations or what the Bible said about certain situations so it ended up going into politics which if you ever listen to that radio program he covers politics a lot so it ended up going to the political side of things and they were asking how, how do you deal with that in your church? And I said, we really don't preach a lot on politics, and I don't talk about it a lot because I want to be the pastor of Democrats and Republicans. And so uh, they were like, oh. And they said, well, what happens when somebody, you know, has a totally different opinion of, of you than in politics or, or um, any hot topic? And I said, you know what, I... I I think God's called me to value the person more than their opinion. And, um, and so they, uh, they were a little taken back by that, like, oh, wow. Um, because stereotypically, uh, I'm a pastor, so I always, uh, you know, you automatically get that conservative, um, you know, all the things that go along with it. And I'm not going to tell you where I am on that. Uh, so when I didn't come out and say, God hates people, um, you know, they were like, oh, wait a second. So I think moving forward in this climate, this is a great thing. I'm glad uh, that I feel like God gave me something today to talk about in respects of honor. Honor is like a simple definition. It's like assigning values. I'm going to honor I'm honoring you. I'm assigning a higher value to you. It could have something to do with what you did, or it could just be that you're a human being. And so uh, what you have here is you have a story of an encounter that Jesus has with an expert in the law. And he says, um, 
the expert in the law trying to test him. And it, and it didn't have to be an aggressive test. It could have been like, I want to know if this guy really knows what he's talking about. Have you ever done that with anybody? Like somebody claims to be something, you're just like, hey, I'll ask you a few questions. Make sure you are who you say you are. And so he just, he says, well, I want to figure out, I'm going to ask him, what are the, what are the, What do you have to do to be perfect? What do you have to, how, how, how does this happen? How do you, um, and Jesus had these questions all throughout his, his public ministry. Uh, Matthew and Mark records uh, things like this where Jesus had these type of questions. And, and they ask him just over and over again, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Some of them phrase, what do I have to do to be perfect? So Jesus kind of asked him a question back and says, What's written in the law? Because if you understand at this point in time, the law was all that mattered. The Jewish law, that what they lived by, this was, guy was an expert in it. And so Jesus is looking back at him saying, well, how do you see it? What's, what's written in the law? How do you interpret it? So the expert looks back at Jesus and says, well, here's the way I interpret it. I interpret it, love the Lord your God with everything you have. Somebody say amen. It's a good place to start right? Second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you look through the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even John, you'll see this coming up over and over again. You'll see this, these two, these, the summary of the whole 10 commandments and the summary of all the laws that the Jews had at the time, which was hundreds and hundreds of them. It was a summary of the whole thing. And you'll find Every time this came up, these were the two that were mentioned. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Other places it says that the the whole law can be summed up pretty much. Because listen, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to commit adultery with his wife. Amen? Unless you're like, I think that's the best thing could happen to me. If you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to go steal his lawnmower. Right? Doesn't it kind of clean up everything else? If you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to lie to him. And so the first commandment is there's one God. Don't have anything. There's only one God. Don't have anything. Okay, well, I need to love him first. Yes, that's the whole deal. Love God first. And then, and then everything else can be summed up by what? Loving your neighbors yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, who is my neighbor? He asked. I'm glad you asked that. Now, Jesus could have went, could have went on a long list of, well, the neighbor is the guy that lives beside you. It's the guy down at the store. It's the guy. And I believe in this, in this expert in the law's mind, you can always justify your point of view with the people you associate with, right? Because if you said, well, your neighbor is actually your physical neighbor. Well, I get along with all my neighbors, I think. Some of them are related to me by marriage. <laughs> and, and then also, well, the people down, well, I only shop at the stores I like. None of you go back and shop at stores you're like, I hate that guy, but he's the only guy that sells bread around here. <laughs> so instead of doing that, Jesus paints a picture for it. Oh, hey, I'm a, you know, mom, I'm going to tell you a story. He tells a story of this Jewish man 
He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about a 17-mile stretch. And, and to understand why it was so easy for this to happen, it was really rough terrain, and there was a lot of places people could hide. And, and so it was kind of common on this stretch for people to get attacked and their money stolen, all these things. So this guy, it happens to him. So first of all, it's a believable story. Hey, you know that road from Jerusalem to Jericho? You know how dangerous it is? So there's a guy that gets robbed. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's believable. So he gets beaten up, left for dead. And by the way, there's a, there's a priest and a rabbi that come walking down through there, and they both walk on the other side of the road. Yeah, that's what they should have done. Because what you have to remember is, is, is Jews were taught at that time, and this guy would have been an expert in it, not to associate with, with, with people who are in those conditions. You don't, you don't, you don't touch somebody. You don't want to get all that stuff all over you. You don't want to, that's below me. I don't want to do that, especially higher up ranking people. That's, I don't want to do that. That's not part of what I do. So it would have been totally acceptable for them to walk on the other side of the road. And I, I imagine at this point in time, the guy's not having a big problem with the story. Okay, yeah. I'm sure somebody will come along at some point in time and help the poor gentleman. But Jesus throws a monkey wrench in the whole deal when he says, and here comes a Samaritan. And what do we, what do we call this story? This is the story of the what? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Back then, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. That's something we put on the story. Because we're like, Samaritan, blah, 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 blah. We don't care, right? Nobody would have said the good Samaritan. No, because back then, uh, Samaritans were like a, a, a mixed race people and Jews did not associate. That's why it was so controversial when Jesus went to the woman at the well and started talking to her. And it was like, wait a second, you shouldn't be doing this right now. And she even pointed it out. You guys don't, you know, you understand that this is awkward. We don't do this. And so Jesus throws a monkey wrench in the story at this point in time. And he says, hey, a Samaritan guy came by and did everything that you guys said was okay not to do. And then he turns it on him and says, hey, so, so tell me now, who is your neighbor? Well, I guess, who was the neighbor in that? Well, I guess the one that showed mercy, even though he was a stinking Samaritan. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is you have to get the order right. It's very, very important to get the order right. Because if you just try to love people out of your own capacity, that's very shallow. That's why six months out of the year, you don't love your wife. I mean, can we all be honest here? That's why eight months out of the year, you don't love your husband. <laughs> I was trying to be realistic in that. Because our capacity in and of ourselves to love people is directly correlated to the amount of pain that we can accept, right? Isn't that true? Your relationship, your capacity to love is directly correlated to the amount of pain that you are able to endure because all relationships end up at some point in time or another in a season of pain. Somebody that's been married more than 10 years say amen. I think up to seven, ten years, you're just like, that's ah, everything's fine. So what happens is, is in our natural self, we get into relationships with people, and then when pain becomes part of it, we realize our real capacity in and of ourselves to love someone. 
And I'm going to tell you something, that's a shocking thing when you run up against it, isn't it? Maybe it's a friendship that gets strained because something happened and you and you start to realize in and of yourself, I'm not sure in and of myself I can carry this on any longer because the pain is is greater than my capacity to love. And so if we don't get the order right, we will always fall short on loving people. Because I'm going to tell you something. My natural capacity to love people <laughs> is so small, it's not funny. I'm like, dude, you just got on my nerves and I can't take this anymore. They're like, I've only known you 10 minutes. That's exactly right. Uh, I, I don't say it anymore because I'm a pastor. But I used to tell my wife we'd go somewhere, I, I'm like 30 seconds. And, and she would be like, I said, I can put up with that person for about 30 more seconds. We got to roll out. Like, so, so it's kind of an inside joke with us. Like, I'll say 30 seconds. And she knows to call my cell phone or act like one of the kids are dying or something. <laughs> my capacity for that is very low. But you understand what is all throughout the New Testament is first love God. And that transforms everything. Because if you try to love people, if you try to honor people out of just your capacity, you will fall short every time. And as soon as the pain level increases to the point that goes beyond your capacity to love, what are you going to fall back on? You got, you got no safety net for the relationship anymore. That's why it's easy just to go, okay, I'm out of that one. 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 Why? Because I didn't love God first. And when I love God first, he supernaturally increases my capacity. It's a, you're like, man, it's 10 minutes in and he's already, already digging into me. Take a, go home and take an inventory of your relationships. How quick do you get irritated with people? Is it 30 seconds? How quick do we, do we choose to not honor somebody? Because they think differently. How quick do we write people off for their political views or their, or, their, or their race or their gender? How quick do we do that? Because what Jesus is telling, what Jesus is telling this expert in the law is that, is that even though your culture tells you to do the walk around thing, even though everybody, even though all your friends will be okay with it, you're trying to love people out of your capacity. You're trying to honor people out of your capacity. You're trying to assign value to people out of your capacity. And so what I need you to do is I need you to get the order right. Because if you love me first, then I'll teach you how to love other people the way I did. And so he shows him that even somebody who doesn't have all of the background, education, uh, esteem that, it, that this guy has can actually have more of a capacity for love than somebody who claims it. That's why the church suffers when the world looks like they love people more than we do. Because we're the ones that are claiming it. So when we talk about honor, we're talking about assigning value to people, aren't we? Saying, man, I'm going to honor you. So we have to get the order right. 
Because my capacity will always be lacking. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're in a relationship for somebody with six months, they're going to irritate you. They're going to do something you don't like. They're going to say, and it might be wrong. (gasps) Well, I was justified because they were wrong. How many of you know somebody being wrong doesn't give us an excuse to dishonor them? Oh, if you would apply that to your Facebook profile. <laughs> you got to get the you got to get the order right. Then we have to realize this sin sin will always divide us, but love always unites. I went back to Genesis and started looking. First three three chapters of gener, gener, generous was a couple weeks ago. First three chapters of Genesis are chaotic. You have the world coming into existence, human beings coming into existence, uh, God creating Adam and then him creating Eve and the first surgery took place and he put Adam to sleep and he, and he, and he created Eve and, and Adam was like, dude, this is awesome. And he was like, Hey, let's name all the animals. And, 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 uh, I got that backwards a little bit. Adam names all the animals and he sees like, hey, none of these look like me. <laughs> that's, in a, that's unfortunate. Um, so God says, hey, I don't want this guy to be alone. I mean, in the first three chapters. Also, sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve sin. Now, now, I was thinking the other day, it is so curious to me why Adam and Eve did not have children before, before the fall. Anybody ever think about that? Adam's like, this is perfect. We don't want to mess it up. <laughs> I don't want some screaming kid coming in here and wrecking my Eden, Right? All the hormones you got to go through. Adam's like, man, I could sit down in the evening and just watch the TV. (laughs) Chapter four, we begin to see the results manifested of sin. Adam and Eve have a couple kids. Famous story of Cain and Abel. They have a couple kids and, and, and the Bible's not explicit about what God had required them to do, but I believe God was explicit to them. I don't believe God is, I don't believe God holds us to something that he doesn't tell us about first. Now, let me, let me back up. Just because you don't read your Bible doesn't mean you're not responsible. So don't, don't get, well, I didn't know. Yes, you should have, right? Because the Bible's free. It's online. Now, Abel kept flocks that Cain worked the soil. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, that's fine. Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, I read a commentary this week that said, that there's a lot of times we preach, it had to be an animal sacrifice and all this stuff, but but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that that what, 
what Cain brought wasn't acceptable to God. He brought the first. He, he, brought, he, he brought a portion of it to God. So don't get confused in what they were bringing. There was something else going on here. Abel also brought an offering, fat portion, some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked down with favor on Abel with his offering, but on Cain with his offering, he did not look down on favor. favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Here's the beautiful thing about God. Anytime you're doing, anytime what you're presenting to him is not what he wants, he will, he will educate you on the issue. Now, it's your choice of whether to be mad at him over the education or to accept it. Okay? So he comes, God comes to him and says, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I have a feeling God had a conversation that Cain knew what, was, what God expected. And God's just having another conversation. Hey, don't be upset about this. I love you with an everlasting love. But I want you to live a certain way. So do it the way I asked you to do it, and everything's going to be fine. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. The first case of first degree premeditated murder. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Listen. Anytime sin is involved in the relationship, it's going to devalue the other person. That's why getting... The order right is so important. I love God first. God, I want you to transform my life. I love you. I love you. If you love me, obey my commandments. Yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to obey your commandments. If you love one another, it's a sign that you love me. Okay, God, because I love you, I'm going to love. So, so this has got to get right before this can get right. Because if this isn't right, this will always be strained. And so you see right off the beginning of humankind, Cain and Abel come into the picture and this isn't right with Cain. And so this gets terminated. And so I want to tell you that anytime as a church we get, we get away from this, then we'll always have strains this way. Sin will always cause us to want to terminate things. We'll have trouble honoring those in authority over us. We'll have trouble honoring uh, our, our parents. We'll have trouble honoring uh, our, our neighbors. We'll have trouble honoring those uh, that work for us. We'll, have, we'll always have trouble because sin devalues people. There's no way if Cain really looked at Abel and said, you were created in the image of God. Because God said, let us make man in what? Our own image. So if Cain had a right relationship this way, which God is telling him, look, it's not working. This is not right. You don't understand what I've asked you to do. You didn't, you didn't do the right thing and I need you to do the right thing. So his relationship with God was strained. So then Abel being created in his image didn't make any difference. So he was willing To invite Abel out into the field and kill him. Over what? I'm going to tell you something. Some of the most tragic things that ever happen in your life are over nothing. Somebody say amen. Some of the worst divorces in marriage are over little teeny things. But because we can't see 
that he was created in, in God's image, that she was created in God's image, that they're valuable, worth it, that I love God first, and that makes my capacity to love you even infinitely greater. Because this isn't right, this becomes terminated. It becomes strained. So you see, right off the beginning, sin entered the picture, and man failed to honor each other. It wasn't until sin entered that we started segregating people. We segregated them according to politics, race, beliefs, background, employment. You see, when sin enters the picture and we don't value each other the way God values us, we don't look at our neighbor as somebody that is actually created in the image of God, when we don't see that because this is wrong, then, then we devalue each other. And when we devalue each other, it gives us, it gives us cover. It gives us cover to mistreat each other. So I could say to you, I could say to you, well, you're not, you know, you're a Democrat. <laughs> or you're a Republican. That means you're stupid already, right? You're a Democrat. That means you're stupid already. Because, because I don't value you more than your politics. I value you as much as, as much as your political opinion agrees with me, which means if I do that, then this isn't right because God made you in his image just like he made me in his image. And just because you're a little crazy in politics, that doesn't mean you're still not God's creature. But the vitriol that can come out in a political season, we're like, string them up! Right? We will destroy each other for something that will have no eternal value. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not walking on streets of gold with an American flag on it. Now, before you send me emails about you're not patriotic, I'm like, bless the Lord. Amen. Let's do this. I'll make the pledge, whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, if I value my patriotism more than I value your soul, this isn't right. Oh, this is going to be quiet for about 10 more minutes. Okay, watch this. Typical responses produce typical results. You want to change America? Do something different. Get this right. What's about who you vote for? That guy's going to lie to you. I don't care what poli- I don't care what political thing he's associated with. They're going to lie to you. Here's the deal. This up and down. If you can get this right and then get this honor thing right with each other, that changes the world. Mother Teresa never told anybody what her political affiliate was. But she had this right better than 99% of people on the planet. So her capacity to do this was above all of ours. But our typical responses will produce typical results. Okay, who's my neighbor? Typical. That's typical. Because you want me to define neighbor as somebody you already like. Somebody who's political and race of, uh, are, are the same as yours. Somebody, somebody's background, somebody who has the same socioeconomic status as you do. I don't want to hang around with poor people. 
So who is my neighbor, Jesus? Define that for me because I want to be clear on this. Because typically what I do would be what the people in the story you described do. Typically, that's the way I would operate as well, right? Typical responses produce typical results. No one's going to blink when you walk on the other side because all of your friends walk the same path. Jesus' responses were never typical, by the way. He reached out and touched a leper. Right? Oh, you can't do that, man. You'll get that stuff, your arm will fall off. Yeah, whatever. Jesus let a prostitute wash his feet. And what was the story? The people in the room said, man, if he was who he said he was, he'd know who this woman is and he would not let her do that. And I wanted, I'd like to say Jesus was like, dude, I, I'm not you. I'm not typical. I didn't come just to do what everybody else did. I came to raise the game. I came so that you might, you could experience love in a way you've never seen before. I came to show you what it really looks like. I came to show you what honoring God and other people look like. I came to show you that this woman who's washing my feet with her hair and her tears was created in the image of God. And you guys have been typical around her. They said, well, he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. I told you I'm not regular. I'm not normal. I'm going to hang out with people that you typically will not be around. And what happened? He threw the whole world upside down. And I believe one of the issues with the church is we've let ourselves fall into categories. Sunday morning is the most segregated time in American in the week. I'm just stating facts. We let, our, we let ourselves get segregated in, into politics and all these. Well, this is a conservative church. Okay, whatever. But I'm telling you one thing. There's a whole ton of liberals out there that I want to see come to Christ. And I'm not willing to take that. That's a typical segregated title. And I'm not willing to accept it. I would rather have people go, can you believe they eat and drink with them? Well, yeah, the food's good, man. (laughs) I don't know. You guys were over there eating, you know, pompous pie. That never tasted good. We're eating real stuff over here. They put bacon in their food. Yeah. Sin will divide us. My love for the Father compels me to honor others. It compels me to see the value in others despite their current circumstances. You see, the issue is, is we view, we view the woman at the well who had five husbands and the one she was with now wasn't her husband. We view her as perpetually in that environment. We view somebody who doesn't hold the same political status as, or the same political or same, same economic status or, or the same, they're, they're sinful and rotten. We view them as always in that situation. But Jesus said he came to set the captive free. He said he came to proclaim peace. 
And so what happens is when the Pharisees look at Jesus and say, I can't believe you let that woman wash your feet. He's looking back at them and saying, she's not going to be that woman very much longer. Because she's encountered me now. So when people encounter the church, we're supposed to have this right. We're supposed to look at them and go, okay, this is how you walked in. But this is not how you're going to walk out. Amen? Because we see the value in you maybe when nobody else will. Typical responses get typical results. All right, if a band could come up. Man, I'm going to try to be really, really good today. All right, I got another GG thing. This is so awesome. We got to give honor to go. I want to tell you a story personally that happened to me. Um, and I never, ever in a million years, I don't want you to think, this, I don't want this to sound like I'm bragging. I never imagined it would ever turn into this because I felt guilty about it for years, about some of the advice I gave. When I was a youth pastor, um, Beth and I had finished our half of our basement and had a bathroom down there and, and a, its own exit. And, and we never thought about taking anybody in into that basement um, because that's where I wanted to be. It had a nice wood stove with stone hearth behind it. And it was just nice. It was my room. I didn't want anybody else in it. And um, at the time, there was this kid named Eric Foster. He's a black kid from Southeast D.C., And I'm going to tell you something, we had nothing in common. He was in the rap scene. I don't know if you couldn't tell, but I'm as white as you can possibly get. When I go to Africa, they're just like, dude, we didn't know Americans could get that white. I'm like, I know. I'm kind of an anomaly. Um. Seven, he was, it was before he turned 18, it was his senior year of high school. Was, he moved out of Southeast D.C. where he had lived and uh, moved in to his dad's home. And there was some strain there and his dad kicked him out. Nowhere to go. And um, I talked to Beth about it. I just said, man, we can't, we can't let this kid, he's got nowhere to go. He's a good kid. And so uh, for six months, he lived in my basement. Now, somebody said, why didn't you give him your room? They settled down. It was a nice basement. It's nice. Had his own bathroom, had his own bed. He'd come up, fix dinner whenever he wanted to. He ate dinner with us sometimes. He did work night shift. Uh, He went to school and worked night shift. It's crazy. But what I remembered from that is him and some of you remember Pastor Pablo. He stayed in my house a year. He's Hispanic. Um, So I actually wanted to kick him out, but that's another story. Um, I was like, dude, you're not getting married living in my house. I got young kids. I know what goes on when you first get married. Um, So uh, Pastor Pablo and him were really good friends, and they would come over, and they would talk about making beats, you know. Oh, we're going to make beats, make rap beats. And I would sit down there with them, and I'd go, dude, you guys got to get a job. There's no future in rap beats. I'm just letting you know that. And I used to just be like, I used to spend hours down there with them going, come on, you got to be respectable, get a job. Come on, you got to, don't act like a gangster, come on. And, um, you know, just, I was afraid for their future. I, I wanted to try to figure out. 
Eric Foster now lives in Indiana. I believe it's Indiana, isn't it? Works for Sweetwater um, Sound Company that is global. I saw him just the other day. He gave a speech in front of 300 people in some type of new piece of PA equipment. He's got a wife and kids, and he produces beats for a living. And I used to feel so guilty about it. Like, man, I'm the one who told him he couldn't do it. I crushed his dreams and now he's doing it, proving me wrong. White God trying to keep him down. <laughs> I was thinking these things. He sent me a Facebook post. He tagged me in a Facebook post last year. I hadn't talked to him in years. I mean, I'd like his stuff on Facebook, but I haven't talked to him in years. He said, hey, I just want to give honor to a, a pastor friend of mine who, when I was in the hardest time of my life, took me into his house. And he said, I was a black kid from Southeast D.C. And he basically said I was a redneck from Hedgesville. <laughs> Brought him into my house. And he said, he changed my opinion of white people. I'm going to tell you something. I haven't really told the whole church. One generation away from me, not my father, but his father was one of the most racist people I've ever met. To his dying day, he was an evil man. It was so bad that I wouldn't take my kids around it. My kids had only been around him like twice. But I've prayed all through this journey that I'd see people like God sees people. That because they're created in his image that I would be able to value and honor them no matter what they look like, how much they make, what their beliefs are in the moment. And I don't know if there's any other I thought about printing that thing off and hanging it in my office because it's one of the things I'm most proud of. And, and I just thought, God, could we in this moment where everything seems to be turned upside down, where everybody hates each other for just the dumbest reasons in the world, everybody hates each other because of politics and race, we hate each other. Could we, in this moment, begin to honor each other? Just begin to honor. Just begin to love. Honor and love. Could we, God, as a church, get this right? Could we get this right? Could we, in this type of environment, get this right? And change people's lives. Eric is more successful than I am now. So I'm looking at his Facebook page like, man, I'm jealous. Like he's making beats for people that if I've said their names, they're famous. And it was all because, because I chose at some point in time to go, this, this is important. And when he came, when I heard his story, I didn't see a black kid from Southeast DC. I saw somebody that God's image was on and that he had a future and a hope and he could be successful and he could raise amazing kids and he could have influence all over the place. And he's doing that. 
Pablo is the same way. I used to yell at him so much. I used to think, man, I'm like, you're frustrating me so much. I didn't see a Hispanic kid that never, that had struggles at home. Just saw a kid. Just saw a kid that couldn't figure it out. All right, come in, move in. But I need you to, I need you to shovel the snow, man. Come on, get out of it. Come on. I need you to work a little bit. Now he's in Massachusetts. Talked to him the other day. He said, Chris, in my location, I have the highest participation in connect groups in the whole church. Our, our location is over 50% involved in connectors in the whole, there's like five, six, 5,000 people meeting that church, church all and all the, he said, my, and I'm going, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going. Cause it's not that he's Hispanic. It's not, it's not that Eric's black. It's that they're in God's image. And I don't know how you were raised. Now, for the next two minutes, I'm going to get real serious here. I don't know how you were raised, but I know how that guy that Jesus was talking to was raised. That he had to grit his teeth and say, well, I guess the guy that had mercy. But the way you were raised can stop today. Come on, you should have said amen a lot louder than that. The way you were raised can stop today. Because just because your parents didn't tell you to value people, if you're going to stay in this relationship, you're going to have to get over that. You're going to have to get over that. You're going to have to get over the politics. You're going to have to get over race. You're going to have to get over all that stuff. Because this cannot be right with that in your heart. It cannot be right. And he said, the way that you're going to know that people love me is if they love each other. If they will honor each other, then you'll know without a shadow of a doubt that this is right. Church, I want to be a church that there's no doubt that this is right. Amen? That we love each other in a way that nobody can deny it. That in this political and racial climate that they could say this church reaches out. All they see is the image of God on people and they don't see anything else. I believe that's the heart of God. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. I guess our 830 service just got skinny. Come on, you need to hug somebody on the way out. You need to start seeing the image of God imprinted. It's the devil. You need to start honoring We are a church that will honor people because God is honoring them. Amen. Father, we ask you this morning, we pray that you rip it down every, rip down every barrier, God. Rip down every barrier that sin has put up, Lord. Rip down every barrier that hate has put up. Rip down every barrier. Rip it down this morning. Let love crush it today, Lord. Let love rip down everything we have learned everything that is typical let it crush it today let it rip down every wall 
Lord, that separates us. And we pray that love would unite us. We pray that we wouldn't walk on the other side anymore. Lord, we pray that grace and mercy would flow from us. We pray that at our own cost, God, that we would help those that are suffering. We pray, Lord, that at our own cost, Lord, we'd reach out to the to ones that are lost and dying, regardless of their situations, God. We pray that we would do that. We pray that our love, that your love in us would shine out into others. We thank you for the opportunity. We give you all the honor and the glory because of it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, give him honor, church. Give him honor and praise.